for most of my life, peace, the thought of peace or, or real peace was terrifying because I'd think there's something wrong, there's something missing. It's not urgent enough, it's not frightening enough, it's not exciting enough, it's not... And now I can do peace. And that's been a long journey. Up in a family that was glossy, uh, probably say glamorous, um, in Knightsbridge, very rich part of London, and we did have money. And from the outside, everything seemed absolutely lovely and beautiful and wonderful, and people believed that, that's how it looked. And then behind closed doors, the truth is we were barking because we were all addicts. Every single one of us were addicts. I only know that now. I mean, at the time, we were just what we were. And there were lots of secrets, there was lots of lies, um, huge amount of violence and abuse. And I didn't know any different, but it was just this extreme of, on the outside, looking amazing. And we did. And on the inside, this, this dysfunction that was um, extreme. And my dad, my dad was an alcoholic. Um, he didn't know he was, but now I know he was. I don't want to slap labels on everybody, but he seriously was. He drank for England. He also ate for England. He also gambled. He was very violent and very unpredictable. And sometimes he was lovely, but you never knew when. So, and he could change like that. My mum was, um, she was on uppers and downers, prescriptive pills, so she wouldn't have said they were drugs and also sleepers, and also she drank a fair amount of red wine and champagne with the drugs. And she also had a food issue, huge food issue. My dad ate too much, but she had the other extreme of eating every other day. She'd heard that um, an actress did that, so she thought, well, that's obviously the way to remain stick thin and beautiful. And my brother, who was 20 months older than me, um, he was, oh gosh, anything. He was addicted. He'd, he'd swallow something and then go, what was that? Which I can kind of relate to. And he was into heroin in a big way. He was in and out of prison. He was in and out of uh, mental hospitals, mental institutions. And it was all a secret. That's one of the big secrets. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone where David is. He's abroad. He's just gone away. So living secrets all the time. And they all died. I mean, by the time I was 26, they're all dead. And my father, he, he, he just, his body just exploded. I mean, blood just, I remember in the sitting room, just blood came out of every orifice. And a few days later, he was dead. Extraordinary. And my mum died of cancer of the esophagus. And my brother, God bless him, he had a drugs-related accident. He was impaled on railings and died in hospital eight days later of um, septicemia and gangrene. And he was 20 and I was 18. And we never spoke about it. He died, it was horrendous, but we never spoke about it. It was just, there was a photograph of him in the sitting room with flowers, always with flowers. And it was as though nothing had happened. And me, um, my addictions, well, I can't remember being normal. I mean, I can't remember feeling as though I fitted in anywhere. I can always remember feeling not good, not good enough not pretty enough, not clever enough, not enough, enough, enough of anything, and compensating. My brother was sent to boarding school when he was six and I was four, and I didn't realize he was ever gonna come back. I thought he died. And so I was tearing my hair out and um, tearing my skin. 
at four. And then later on, I was smoking from the age of nine, and by, by 12, I smoked every day. I don't anymore. Um, fear. There's a lot of fear in my family, and there was a lot of fear in me. It's almost like I was plugged into fear as my, my main energy. And so I could feel fear on a very deep level, but also on a very everyday level. Everything was frightening. And I, in the end, honestly, I mean, I was using, you name it, everything was an addiction. So it was a bit like cooking with four saucepans and three lids. You know, you just move the addictions around. I mean, not consciously. Um, I didn't know I was doing that, but it was just to deal with life. And so there was food. Uh, I was dangerously anorexic three times. A lot of bulimia was going on. Actually, I remember it sort of three, four years old, making myself sick. It somehow made me feel better. Um, and then later on, after that, drugs, big time. I mean, I remember when my brother died, because he, he didn't die literally of an overdose, but it was drugs related. He was off his head, basically. Um, I remember thinking, okay, I'm never going to touch heroin. I'll be all right. So I just did everything else, big time. And meanwhile, I had a really good acting career going. I was an actress for 18 years, and it was good. Um, when I say good, I wasn't famous, didn't want to be, but I was working regularly, and that to me is a successful actor. And I killed off my, my career, really, because gradually I couldn't stay off the cocaine. And my life just kind of started disappearing. Um, my love for life disappeared, my love for acting disappeared because I didn't get the jobs. I sort of covered that up by thinking, I don't want to act anymore anyway. I did, but everything was covered. Everything, I lied to myself a lot. I had my daughter, um, who still is, but was the light of my life, but I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop behaving the way I was behaving. And so what happened then was that slowly, slowly, my drinking just became horrendous. I could hold off during the day, I could hold down a job as what they call a functioning addict. But at night, three bottles of cheap red, 40 fags, no problem. Send her to bed, you've got to go to school in the morning, have you done your homework, go to your room. You to get her out of the way so that I could drink. And I hated it. I knew what I was doing by then. I knew it, was wrong. I knew it wasn't normal. And also I wasn't going out with people drinking. This was on my own and it wasn't doing anything apart from making me feel more depressed. And what I hadn't understood was that alcohol's a depressant. So I was medicating with a depressant, my depression. And I wanted to kill myself. And the suicide thoughts were massive and very regular. And I started planning how I was going to do it. And the most important thing about this, and I have to stress that it was real. It wasn't a cry for help. This was really meant to work. And the biggest, most important thing about it was making absolutely certain that my daughter would never know that it was suicide, that it would look like an accident. And it was just, you know, constant. It was just, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? I was thinking, well, I'll wait for her GCSEs, get through the exams. And, oh, what a way to live, you know? But that's how I was living. And one night, what happened was I I received, 
I call it the gift of de desperation. The gift of desperation being a hideous gift. <laughs> really nasty at first. And it's like a kick in the head. And I can look back and know what it was. It was, it was this deep, deep, deep urge in my spirit to reach out for help. I, I knew I, I couldn't go on. And I knew that I kind of couldn't do it by myself. And so I remember um, passing out, kind of you know, with my face on my hands at the kitchen table after you know, two and a half bottles of red and waking up sort of, my, my daughter was away. She was definitely away when this happened. And I woke up about six in the morning still drunk and I sort of got up and staggered over to a mirror. And I looked in the mirror. My face was all kind of squashed like this. Looked awful, partly because of sleeping night and partly because of what I looked like anyway by then. And I just saw this kind of squatchy white potato with these two little burnt raisins for eyes looking at me, and it wasn't me. I couldn't see me, because I'm quite a vital person, and there was just no one in there, apart from fear. And the interesting thing was that I spoke to myself, and the voice that came out of me was completely sober. And I said, you you're going to AA. And I answered, and I answered, I was dribbling drunk, and I went, right, I will then, yes. And I burst into it, and I did. I went to AA. I obeyed. I mean, I never, never obeyed. And just people, just friendly people. I mean, who did they think they were coming up to me going, how are you, you're, I go, I'm all right. What of it? so angry, so challenging, so full of me. My ego was like the size of, size of the moon, you know? And my self-esteem was the, was the size of a gnat. A really weird juxtaposition and everything was extremes. And I realized slowly, I learned a lot. I mean, I learned so much in AA and then later I went to NA where I really kind of found people, Narcotics Anonymous, I found people that I could really resonate with. It's slightly different energy. But I, I learned so much and then eventually started to learn how to live and the recovery course was when I could finally go okay. I'd love to be able to say that it's all wonderful and cool and hunky-dory and sometimes it is and other times it's rubbish. and. You know, there's still extremes that go on in my life and finding the middle ground is, is, is kind of difficult. Um, I also accept that perhaps I am a kind of person that does do that. At least it's not like that anymore, you know, it's like that. And I still have moments of wanting to use and at the moment for some strange reason it's cigarettes and what I've learnt and it's so simple but it really is one day at a time and I just tell myself okay Catherine you can smoke tomorrow you can smoke as many cigarettes as you want tomorrow today you're not going to just get to bed clean and so somehow it works and what I've accepted is that 
having the thought of using, whether it's bad men, whether it's cigarettes, whether it's drugs, whatever it is, food issues, having the thought isn't a problem. It used to be, because then I'd go and do it. Um, it's whether I entertain the thought, whether I let it in, whether I let it set up home in me. What I have now is choice, and I didn't have choice before. I was doomed, and I know that's really dramatic, but it is dramatic. I was doomed. I was on a road to nowhere but death, and I'm not. You know, I'm going to die at some point, so are you. But I don't have to die like that, and the choice given to me is through recovery, it's through prayer. One of my early, early, early prayers in recovery, and I made it up, I just didn't know what to pray, was, um, God, just for today, I choose to believe that you love me. Thank you. Amen. It's all I could manage. And it worked. And through that, I choose to believe you love me, I received peace. I now just go straight for it. I just go, give me peace. And I used to receive peace, and then I panic, but, it, but nothing's happening. It was peace. And slowly, slowly, I mean, I've been in recovery quite a long time now. You know, I've been around the block a couple of times. But I still feel quite young because I'm learning who I am. I'm still learning who I am. I'm learning how to live. I'm learning how to be me. I'm learning how to relate to people. AA and then very much NA were absolutely essential to my recovery and learning all the things, you know, the 12 steps. Wow, they still are. But what I found really frustrating was this um, higher power, God of your understanding. And I just found that kind of useless, really. And just, I wanted a God that could do miracles. And I eventually, it was a kind of pride thing. I wasn't going to go back to Jesus. I believed in Jesus in a very kind of sweet, pure way when I was a child. And then I dumped him when, when my brother died. Understandably, possibly. But I kind of admitted that perhaps he was the one. And definitely now he is the one. And I'm not, um, oh gosh, I'm not holier than thou. I can swear like a trooper. Um, I'm sure I've still got a temper that I shouldn't have. I still have thoughts that I probably certainly shouldn't have. But I completely believe in him. And. I know, looking back, I know that that time in the mirror when, when I said to myself, you, you're going to AA, I know that that was Jesus. Didn't then, but I know it was him and that's why I obeyed. My spirit obeyed. I could go on and on about Jesus for quite a long time, I'm not going to, but he's okay. Thank you.